0: Welcome to Cards Chat, the friendliest poker podcast in town from the world's number one poker community. Hey everyone, I'm your host, Robbie Straczynski. Thank you so much for joining us on episode number 92 of Cards Chat, the friendliest poker podcast in town. Today's guest is Tony Burns, director of poker marketing for Seminole Hard Rock in Florida. Florida, uh, Tony is originally from Fort Wayne, Indiana, but moved to Central Florida when he was six years old. After college, he had a variety of jobs and began dealing poker in a bar league for fun. In 2003, his dad took into the World Series of Poker in Las Vegas, which just happened to be the year that a certain man named Chris Moneymaker won the main event. And the rest, as they say, is history. Today, we're going to get to know Tony better. Tony, welcome to the Cards Chat Podcast.
1: Hey, Rob. Thanks for having me on.
0: Good to see you again. Really good to speak with you, Um, you know, just to give a little bit of context to our audience. We do know each other for a number of years and uh, first met, I believe, in Las Vegas in the hallways uh, at the Rio where you had uh, a booth there. You used to do that. Um, And then subsequently, we got to meet uh, in South Florida uh, at your previous position. Uh, we'll talk uh, about those uh, rare position, those positions, but we haven't had too many opportunities to talk uh, in depth and have conversations like these. So I'm looking forward to it.
1: Yeah, so am I. So am I.
0: Cool. All right. Um, so let's, uh, let's start at the end of that little intro story. You know, your father took you to Vegas for your 21st birthday, and that's already uh, the dream for a lot of folks out there. Um, were you already sort of into poker, playing poker at that point? Or was this just like, oh, let's go on vacation to Vegas, uh, you know, for your 21st birthday, Vegas was a little bit more, I don't know, kid friendly, 20s friendly at the time as well. It was a little different than today.
1: Yeah, I... You know, my family is originally from up north, and you know, during those winters, it gets cold up there. So a lot of a lot of card playing, hand and foot euchre, you know, games like that. You know, nickel dime poker, maybe playing the, uh, you know, threes and nines wild. You know, oh yeah, midnight baseball, baseball different yeah. games. Yeah. yeah, base. Yeah, um, but uh, it, you know, in terms of Texas hold'em uh, or Omaha or any of the traditional games today, no. Um, you know, maybe some stud mm-hmm. uh, was popular a little bit at the time, uh, but. No, not, not like it is today. Um, I was more into sports, you know, getting back into uh, you know my baseball days, but yep. more focused on baseball than than poker. It was kind of a let's go to Las Vegas and then kind of just tripped and fell into Binions and huh. seen the festivities.
0: That's pretty cool. And what, what was that feeling like for you seeing all those people gather around? I mean, we see the old footage, you know, it's available on Poker Go these days. You can just look and everyone looks 20 years younger, that sort of a thing. Um, you know, what, what uh, what's that experience like for a 21-year-old uh, to be at the World Series of Poker in the Moneymaker year? I
1: was more, I, I was more looking for the blackjack tables. <laughs> um, so I uh, saw, you know, there was like a wall of people that were watching what was going on and uh it's like hey what's going on you know what is this and like ah it's the you know the final table of the world series of poker i'm like all right cool where's the blackjack tables again so (laughs) i I literally just turned around and i walked away i didn't watch i just uh just enjoyed my first trip in vegas wow uh, mostly on the table games yeah
0: that's so interesting like you imagine some sort of alternate universe you know as we know uh you know our our mutual very good friend matt savage was there as well doing, doing directing and stuff like you know, in in an, in an alternate universe, is sort of like, of course, you want a front row seat. You get to say you were right there, you know, with yeah. next to next to Linda Johnson. You know, Card Player magazine covering everything. Funny how that uh, how that worked out. So, but so you had sort of like a, a home game that you were playing at the time, or you know, just with family around, you know, Christmas table, something like that.
1: Yeah. So after Moneymaker won the World Series, obviously there was that buzz. Uh, World Poker Tour was mm-hmm. you know starting up around that time as well. Yeah. So. You know, it just turned into like five and $10 sit and goes around the table with, you know, family and friends to, you know, hey, let's uh, let's make a poker table or Uh let's go to Walmart and buy one of those, you know, old school, uh, you know, fold out uh, poker tables. And that turned from, you know, playing with eight, nine, 10 people to, hey, let's buy a couple of these and then having, you know, two or three tables sit and goes. and, Uh And the next thing you knew, we were moving the game around because of all the amount of people that were coming. Yeah. Um, at the time, you could only play uh, at least in Florida. Um, you would go out on the Sun Cruise, or Sun Cruise Casino, which was my first job. So you had to go out on in international waters. Um, my first live multi was in 2004. I tried to get a seat to the World Series, and I ended up finishing third. Uh, I remember I got paid out in all fifty-dollar bills, thirty-three oh, hundred dollars.
0: That's bad so luck. I left,
1: I left with a nice little wad of fifty-dollar bills, and of course, at the time, I was the local. Local hero celebrity for being uh-huh. third that.
0: You know. <laughs> uh, we'll definitely get into your uh, Sun Cruise days. Those are kind of magical looking back on it, you know, see how just how far poker has come uh, in Florida. But then you mentioned you also had those baseball days. I know, you know, like I said, we've known each other for a while already. And, you know, so often on uh, different social media platforms, I see you posting pictures, you know, back when you were at a bat boy, I guess, for the Florida Marlins. And, you know, you had, like, Many years working in various positions for a number of baseball teams, you know, what inspired you to sort of, you know, get into baseball in the first place and then sort of transition out of that more into poker?
1: So my family was big into baseball. My dad, you know, got me into baseball when I was, when I was young, playing t-ball. Um, kind of family tradition for him, for, for him was my grandfather uh, would take the family to Wrigley Field uh, every summer, at least once a year. And that was the first time I ever went to a baseball game. I was seven. My grandfather took the family to, to Wrigley, playing the Pirates. I think in 1989. So nice. Um, yeah, and it's just kind of ironic that um, the Cubs had a Double A uh, team in Orlando in the Southern League, and uh, it transformed over the years. Went from like the Twins, and then went to the um, the Cubs. Um, but I also played baseball grew up. Played little league, um, ten years old. Uh, Clint Hurdle had a big league camp with the Mets, Bob Apodaca, a bunch of, you know, random Howard Johnson. It was a really cool baseball camp that I went to in Mm -hmm. Cocoa. But, you know, went, used to go to minor league games, went to Dodgers spring training when they were in Vero Beach. That was before the Marlins came to to Vieira. But uh, just got lucky, got picked out of the stands when I was 10 years old. You know, hey, you want to be a bat boy for the night? And uh, just, I went and asked my dad. My dad was like, sure and uh, that was that was uh, actually 93 uh, so I was 11. Nice. Yeah it was obviously you know I don't even know how to put it, it was just such a dream come true for a kid to be able to go onto a onto yeah. the field you know I, it's funny nowadays I get to take my kids on the field to go run around the bases after a Marlins game but to get on the field back in those days it just wasn't as accessible as it is today.
0: Sure that's interesting so, like, was it more of just, oh, I just love this game and, you know, maybe I can't play, you know, major league level, but I have to be around in some way, shape or form? I love it.
1: I mean, I wanted to be a, that was the dream was become a major league ball player. Mm-hmm. And I played through high school and it just kind of got to the point where it was, all right, do I want to work in baseball? Or do you want to play? You know, my dad kind of had that line. You can't play, uh, put, uh, what did he say? His line was, you can't put, uh, playing baseball on your gas tank, right? So <laughs> it was just one of those spots where I had to kind of give it up, uh, but I was around it, you know? And like I said, to get on with the Marlins in 97, that was year they won the World Series. I was a uh-huh. spring training bat boy. I worked for their minor league team in Brevard County, the Manatees. So and I did all sorts of different jobs. I mean, I was a bat boy, the clubhouse attendant. I was a stadium DJ. I played the oh. music and the sound effects of the year. On
0: oh,
1: the organ? I pressed play. <laughs> so, you know, that was, that was my organ playing. Um, I sold tickets. Uh, okay. A couple seasons, I sold tickets in the box office. So, you know, I, I didn't uh, ever imagine I was going to leave baseball, but it just got to that point where I graduated uh, college and I had an opportunity to go to Washington, D.C. and be the visiting clubhouse laundry guy. And I just finished college, and I was like, "All right, I got this college degree. I was just getting into poker, the bar league that you that you brought up, and I had an opportunity to kind of expand that bar league and stay in Florida. And so I just had that fork in the road where I decided to stay in poker, and you know, kind of let baseball go.
0: So tell us about uh, about this bar league, and it was sort of like a a trivia something, I don't know exactly what the connection, you know, again, here in Israel, we don't really have that sort of bar trivia culture, but I know it exists. Yeah. And it was like sort of one of a franchise you were trying to be a part of or something.
1: Like so the bar poker league was kind of similar to like a karaoke, um, just that an entertainment company that brings people to the venue. Okay. And what the, the concept of the bar, uh, bar poker was, it was really popular and there's still some bar uh, poker that are still, you know, floating around. But the concept is, you come, you play for free, you learn the basics, you have a good time. It's very social, and usually they give away some sort of prize. Now that's always where it's gotten into that gray area, uh-huh. and for me, the more and more I got involved, um, I was I didn't wasn't completely comfortable with it because I knew at some juncture I was giving a prize away, and the legality of that, obviously, you know ATF or whoever was involved in in regulating or overseeing those because you did hear about certain bar poker leaks that were getting raided. Wow. Now what was going on, there were other activities going on. Like once you would leave, they might use your table and start spreading games and, you know, un- unbeknownst to the, to the owners, but you were hearing those stories and the more and more I heard about it, I just wasn't comfortable with it. So mm-hmm. I, I got out and went to the Sun Cruise and I sold my franchise back to the, to the company.
0: So so the Sun Cruise, you know, like it's basically like um, you know, a, for, for all intents and purposes, a ship that sailed into international waters at the time to, you know, so that, you know, international waters, you can go ahead and play all the poker you want, that sort of a thing. You saw an ad in the newspaper or you were looking for it, or they found you. How, how did that uh, you know connection happen? So
1: Cape Canaveral was about a half hour from my home. Um, and you know, it was well advertised, you know, that it was you're not your opportunity to play. Because at, at that time, you could only play, like limit poker. It was $2 poker um, in Florida. I mean, it's gone through a lot of different stages. It used to be quarter poker. And they would cap the pot at, you know, $10. They used to have sit and goes, that I believed it was only 30 or 35 hands, and the sit-and-go ended. <laughs> and then, you know, so the evolution of Florida poker has, has changed over the years. But up to 2007, the only time if you wanted to play true, one-two, no limit, two-five, no limit, uh, or bigger... So you had to go out in international waters right and so the sun Cruise, you know left the dock at seven uh took about 45 minutes to get to international waters we play for about three and a half hours and then eleven 15, we'd come in and, and dock at midnight but it was an awesome opportunity uh knew a lot of the guys from the bar poker i kind of ventured over that way and um pete fisher actually works at Seminole casino coconut creek uh he was one of the floor managers Uh, on the boat. And Mm -hmm. he's like, Hey, we're looking for dealers. Why don't you come on back home and, and I'll get you an audition. And and like I said, with all the things that were going on with the bar poker as much fun as it was, Mm -hmm. um, wanted to get more serious and obviously more regulated.
0: Sure. Well, what, what's it like, uh, you know, dealing poker on a ship? I know that, that type of stuff still does exist these days, you know, in Florida and other places as well. Um, but you know, obviously poker has, grown so much over the last 20 years or so throughout the united states to just you know you don't have to do that and go into international waters you can usually just you know drive you know a couple hours you know a few hours something like that at the time though it was exceedingly popular like you said because of the rules and people just want to play no limit without having to get on a plane and fly to vegas or atlantic city so what was that ambiance like for you know both, I guess you can also know from the player's side, but also sort of from the burgeoning industry side of things uh, to sort of be on the ground floor.
1: As a dealer, it was uh, difficult depending on how high the seas were. <laughs> so, <laughs> wow. you
0: know,
1: we okay. were in deal, dealer's chairs have also evolved over the, the past 20 <laughs> yeah. years. Uh, but, you know, if you can imagine, uh, you know, some good chop and, uh, you know, you're sitting here trying to deal and you're swaying back and forth.
0: Um, You're not talking also, about a stud eight shop either. You're talking about uh, the water. Oh, it was
1: it was not it was uh, it was very difficult um, mm-hmm. at times, depending on the weather. But and also the traditional poker table uh, didn't have a well. Um oh. it had the rake slide and the the jackpot slide. But in terms of like your bank, yeah. your bank was actually underneath your feet. Oh boy, and a bird and what they call the bird a bird cage. Uh-huh. So you actually had to protect. You can imagine. I can never imagine money disappearing under the table nowadays, but luckily the birdcage was underneath the table and you were holding onto it with your feet. So it didn't go anywhere. And then if somebody needed to buy and you go underneath the table, you'd pull the birdcage up on the table, you'd take the plastic off the top, you'd sell and you put it right back underneath the table.
0: It sounds, but, uh, it was it sounds very home gaming
1: in a way. It, it, in a way. Yeah. I mean, the regulations, I mean, you get on international waters, but it was, you know, the business model was in place. There were never any problems, you know. Nowadays, you'd be worried about somebody maybe trying to go underneath. But on a boat, where are you going to go? You get caught sure, sure. uh, doing doing that out on the international. But um, it, so on a on a dealing side, very interesting. On a playing side, mm-hmm. it was, there was also that opportunity where uh, if they need if a game broke down, they would tap you on the shoulder and say, "Hey, uh, Tony, do you want to uh, go play?" Okay. Uh, rather than deal, so I could go from dealing you one hand to playing right beside you the next hand. Which That's true. Of- it was interesting as well. Um, I didn't do it that often. Okay. But uh, it, it just was kind of uncomfortable, you know, to, you know, put a put a beat on somebody and then go on the other side and expect them to throw you a buck or two <laughs> you know, after dealing with the winners. So I suppose so. well we won't get into the variance piece of it all, but just that dynamic alone uh, was was pretty weird.
0: For sure. Okay, well, that's uh, poker on the high seas with Tony and then you, <laughs> then you moved back uh, and became a more of a landlubber and you spent a number of years uh, you know dealing and supervising at uh, okay, I, I want to make sure I get the uh, pronunciation. Isle Casino Pompano. Is that how it's pronounced or Pompano? Yeah,
1: Isle Casino Pompano.
0: Pompano. Beach. Pompano. Yeah. Um, you know, and that was before, you know, you were there for a number of years before moving on, you know, to where you're now part of the, the seminal Hard Rock family. So um, I guess sort of, again, this is now another step up, you know, you start bar poker international poker on a, on a ship and now, okay, we're at a proper regulated licensed venue, that sort of a thing. What were, what were your experiences like uh, during those few years? So, it, you know, when you heard that the lo- the laws
1: had changed July 1st, 2017 um, and I was actually on vacation at the time, a couple of my friends said, Hey, you got to get down here to, uh, to Pompano. It's, it's, it's amazing. Um, you know, we're making great money. Um, the action's incredible. The room's full. People are waiting. Um, and I was like, all right. So I came down. Uh, Mike Smith, who's now the director of poker for Maryland Live, uh, was the director of poker at uh, Pompano at the time. And I had my audition with him. Um, I was still kind of a newer dealer at the time. Uh-huh. And uh, I'll never forget, uh, you know, he told me in my audition, he goes, you got to be faster than that. <laughs> but he, they, they needed dealers and... Um, I think you could tell that, that you know, my character and uh, that I could, I could get the job done, you sure. know, and I and I grew on them and shortly became a dual rate where I, you know, would uh, floors part of the time and deal part of the time. And uh-huh. Tournaments were always kind of my forte. So just kind of rolled into running the nighttime tournaments and became a full time supervisor and spent eight great years there, uh, you know, with Mike and before he went up to Maryland and making the transition over to Seminole Hard Rock.
0: You know, getting into poker during these years, you know, again, Florida, in a sense, sort of had its own separate timeline. But, of course, you know, you're not uh, completely oblivious to the fact of what's going on. And, you know, like you were again, you were there during the Moneymaker, uh, you know, explosion and, you know, with the World Poker Tour, like you said, what attracted you specifically to the industry side of things rather than, as so many legions did, you know, trying to, to hack it as a professional player? I think for both
1: poker it had a lot of similarities to baseball for me when it comes to the competition obviously being on ESPN the egos the just the whole the way poker was being presented obviously wpt's rise on the travel channel and how they highlighted that it was very that competition i'm i'm a very competitive person so sure. i think that's what really attracted me to it and also you know let's face it my job centered around a game and how many people really truly get to say that there's a lot of other people out there that are, you know, fighting other good fights and, and you know, handling a lot of world problems. And when you step back and you look at poker, um, yeah, as it has its stresses as it's any other job, but any decision I was ever making, I uh, wasn't, it wasn't life uh, deciding for, for anybody, you know, I'm mm-hmm. sorry, uh, it's, a, it's a premature turn. And I'm, I'm, that's, that's my toughest decision on some days. You know? Right. Uh, well. But no, it's a poker has been an amazing job. It's um, and what's turning into a career. You know, I, I looked at yesterday, you know, July 10th was officially 15 years in South Florida for me. Mm-hmm. And I'm uh, just really, really thankful for all the
0: opportunities I've been given. That's huge. Well, congratulations, obviously, on that. Um, you know, I'm trying to think of a way to phrase this one because you know, it's unplanned as far as the questions and stuff. At what point? You know, because so many people, I'm not saying they end up, you know, in in quotes, just staying a dealer because so many people love and enjoy that. At what point did you sort of say to yourself, you know what, there's an, there's a big ladder out there and I want to start climbing and, you know, reaching for those, you know, proverbial brass rings because, you know, clearly that's something that you've done you know, as a reason, uh, you know, we're, we're interviewing you today, of course. At what point did you sort of say, like you said, you know, this should, you know, this is a career. I'm a lifer. I want to get into this and not just, you know, settle for, you know, remaining in, you know, again, with respect to, you know, lifetime dealers for remaining in the box.
1: So my father was a general manager of a Ramada. And I looked up to my dad and you see some of that had a position of authority, managed people. And I went to uh, college for that as well, for business management so i've always felt you know also as a pitcher in baseball i've always looked at a pitcher as being the leader of the team you're the one that holds the ball there's a lot of decisions that come from you and you know depending on how you pitch on how you put that you know obviously got to worry about the hitter and where the hitter puts it but you just have so much control um that your team might not have to do anything if you're just such a strong leader you strike out almost every player you know i at one of those games where I struck out 16 out of 18 people. Nice. And I guess just those kind of experiences at such a young age and then looking up to my father and then getting into poker and seeing like the people like Matt Savage that, you know, have had such an influence on the, on the, on the industry uh-huh. and other mentors that I've had, you know, from Mike Smith, Bill Mason, Um it's and Larry Frank, uh just amazing mentors that have shown me different, aspects of the business and just continue my thirst to want to to lead and have ideas that can be implemented. And um, it's, I'm really glad that I've gone down this road. And like you said, to all respect to other people that decide to stay at a dealer level, sometimes they go up and they, they try, you know, management and Uh for them, it's that stress level Uh that they don't, they don't necessarily want to tackle that. And I can, I get that all the time. My wife will tell me at at a certain date, she'll say, Hey, there's days I miss you just being a dealer where you just went and you dealt, you came home and you didn't have to worry about, you know, phone calls at two o'clock in the morning uh-huh. that uh, a certain situation happened on the tournament floor right. or, Hey, uh, you need to come back to the room because this happened tonight. Uh-huh. So, I mean, there's pros and cons, uh, to, to each side, but, um, yeah, we, we need dealers in this business and, of course. and we're looking to and if you're looking to apply, go to workhappy.com for all seminal Hard Rock poker rooms. So, uh, yeah, no, we the dealers are they're the front line. And one thing for me is I can relate to the dealers because I've pretty much done every position in a poker room, and they're they're truly the front line of defense and the first pe- the first person somebody sees and sets that tone of that experience. So, um, deal don't uh, you know? And you didn't do it, but. Got yeah, that, that, that dealer position is so important and I Absolutely. think it gets lost at times.
0: Absolutely. And, and I, I would say also, at least from what I see as a, as a player and a media person, you know, there's far more direct interaction between dealers and players than usually floor staff and, and management and players But you, and among, you know, many others who are very unique, you remain, you try very, very hard to remain, you know, with, you know, your ear to the ground of like what the players are saying. How do you continue to remain engaged in that way with the players, even though there's obviously, you know, a couple of rungs of, of, you know, management separation these days?
1: Yeah, just listening, you know, whether it be social media being present on the floor is uh-huh. a big part of it too. Um They'll come to you. You know, uh-huh. it's, it's not even spots where you have to go to them. They'll seek you out. And as long as you find yourself to be approachable, be approachable. Don't, you know, I don't know. There's certain floor people that um they'll let the power of the suit kind of go to their head and they'll feel like, you know, I'm exalted or I don't have time for this. And, and they're few and far between. I, I think those people end up getting kind of weeded out uh-huh. uh, or they end up coming back down to reality. Um, but just being accessible is a big part of it. I also like to play the game. Uh-huh. And there's so many times that I've been out on a table and I'll go incognito, whether I'm wearing a hat or maybe I'll throw on a hoodie because it's cold, you know cold. Um, but I'll listen to the conversation. Huh. And I, I will listen. Once again, players love to talk and uh you know whether it's complaints or hey i was at this place and they ran a really good tournament it's like yeah i like that tournament but the structure could have used this oh interesting. and i'll be and i'll be listening to those things and then maybe i'll adjust my hat or pull down my hoodie at some point and somebody'll look over and like how long have you been sitting there or <laughs> oh my god it's you and it's, it's like re listening the whole time it's like you know but those kind of opportunities that when you get on the felt and Poker a social game. You yeah. might Be able to talk. I'm, obviously, I don't go to other places and I don't promote, you know, and sure. there's that fine line. You'll get somebody to say, Hey, Tony, what's the next Hard Rock event? And you go, Yeah, hey, check out the website. But hey, you know, like July 27th, you okay, know. Okay. That's um, fair. Yeah. But I, don't, and you stop right there because you don't want the same on the other side. You don't want somebody coming to your venue and promoting it. So I try to keep, you know, keep it respectful. Sure. Um, but getting back, like what you said, just being accessible obviously playing and being able to relate to them uh, has been a big key to my success and listening to the players.
0: Sure. Well, let's uh, dive a little bit deeper into hard rock, you know, at least again, from where I said, I didn't, you know, look at the figures, but by far, you know, the largest uh, poker operator land-based in Florida, you know, the Seminole hard rocks, uh, you know, multiple prop, how many properties is like four, three, four. So the tribe actually has,
1: um, there's two seminal hard rock properties in Tampa
0: and Hollywood,
1: right? And they have a total of six throughout the states. Okay, right.
0: And you know, your purview now is all of them, obviously all half dozen. Um, but you know that's not where you started uh, with them. I think this is uh, 2015 or so that you've been with them, yep. right? Um, yep. So how did that opportunity come about? You know, as uh, anyone who's been at a job for a number of years uh, knows that you know transitioning to the next one. You know, it's not always necessarily easy. It's hard to say goodbye to folks you loved and had a great experience with. But, you know, clearly a new opportunity came about. So, uh, you know, tell us about that time of the transition.
1: So it was right around 2011. Um, you know, I was still at The Isle And, you know, Seminole Hard Rock partnered up with the World Poker Tour and started putting on big events. And like I said, as a tournament junkie, mm-hmm. you, know, you see some of the things that they were doing, including the $10 million guarantee in 2013, 2014 that was just really appealing and I wanted to be a part of that, mm. you know, obviously they had tournament director at the time Yeah, and I just kept doing my thing. You know, I just had the birth of my first child in 2013 and I was dual rating and then the, the TD position came open Okay, and I put in for it and, yep. uh, and I, and I got it, you know, it's, just one of those uh in the right place at the right time you know the, the opportunity came available uh-huh. and i just i knew when the hard rock was getting aggressive with tournament poker you know i saw that that's that transition uh-huh. you know the aisle and hard rock for a lot of those eight years were they were synonymous in that competition that friendly competition level but you saw the needle moving towards hard rock uh-huh. and uh you know like I said landed the job and, and here we are seven years later
0: there you go. Well, what did you like the most and what did you find most challenging, I suppose, about that initial tournament director position with Hard Rock? Oh, that's a great question. I think,
1: <laughs> now
0: you got me on this one.
1: Uh, the most <laughs> challenging thing, I think just learning the, the ins and outs of the company. You know, in the beginning, you know, you spend eight years at one place, you dive into their culture and then coming over and learning the culture of the tribe. Um, and what they wasn't very challenging per se to, to learn, but just making that transition from one company to another, sure. um, just seeing the guest service side here and just how much, I'm not saying that the aisle didn't, but I don't know, the poker here, just the way they focus in on the guests and, and then also the challenge of, wow, we're running million dollar events. Right, You know, million-dollar right. guarantees. So, um This yeah, stuff that is was, getting reported
0: on poker news, you know, all that kind of stuff. Yeah,
1: sure. it, and seeing the more and more on the, the limelight, I guess making a transition to something that was just so much bigger, mm-hmm. um, you know, on such a, a on a global level.
0: Mm-hmm. I think that was probably the biggest challenge. Cool, okay. And what did you like the most at that, uh, you know, when, when you started filling those shoes, making that role your own?
1: I, no, I think it was cool that, you know, hey, we're running events that are, Televised, um, we're awarding million-dollar first-place payouts. You know, and when you stop and think about the amount of places that were doing that at the time, or still doing that outside of the World Series, and you know a few other stops, there's really not many places that are that are awarding the amount of prize money that Seminole Hard Rock does on a consistent basis.
0: Well, I like it. Good answer, solid answer. Um, last time you and I spoke in uh, interview format was five years ago, and obviously one major thing that happened since then. You are now uh, in a uh, in a higher rung, a different position as the director of poker marketing. You know, moving up from TD, which is pretty amazing. Before we get into that specific position and learning, you know, what's different about that. First of all, amazing title, director of poker. That's a you know, like what, what do you do? I'm the director of poker. It Doesn't even matter where. That's just that's, that's a <laughs> great title. Um, but before we get into that a little bit, um, you know, when you're the tournament director, when you know, like you started quite genuinely, you know, making a name for yourself in the beyond the South Florida world, you know, the the, the greater poker world, one could say. You know, like you said, you're putting on these tremendous tournaments with WPT, you know, the Seminole Hard Rock Poker Open, all this kind of stuff. Was there any particular event or annual event or something like that that you perhaps had a a hand in or that you look back and were particularly proud of the role that you played uh, in helping to stage it?
1: So when I got here, uh, Bill Mason, who's the director of poker operations for Seminole Hard Rock Hollywood, they had a lot of the foundation was in place. Uh-huh. And when I came here, you know, it was it was like a I think the analogy I've used, it was like a Ferrari. And it was like, hey, here's this brand new Ferrari. Take it for a ride. You know, don't wreck it. Right. right. <laughs> keep it. Keep it. Uh, keep it clean. Um, but there was opportunities to come in. And like poker is always evolving, you know, looking at ways. And we talked about mixed games, you know, the amount of mixed games that we were putting in, uh-huh. uh, maybe different buy in levels, the way that we um, were Layering tournaments and seeing where we can maximize on the space because, you know, we're not like the World Series that gets to, you know, lay out five, six hundred tables. You know, we we had 90 and we have two weeks or three weeks and we want to make sure that we capitalize on that. So, you know, Bill was very, um, very good about teaching me, hey, we need to, you know, analyze this. We need to keep data of this and just keeping track of the data, I think, was a big part of that as well. Um, to make sure, like I said, make sure we were utilizing the tables that we were spreading, and um, but I think the biggest event, uh, getting back to your mm-hmm. question about what event, I think having the tournament of champions here, the first two tournament of oh, champions nice. was a really cool experience with the world. I Boken think that's Board.
0: where we originally met in 2017. I think yeah. that is yeah. Where
1: we, yeah mm-hmm. That yeah. being being a part of that was was special. Yeah. Um, the Seminole Hard Rock Poker Open is uh, the uh, non branded you know, we're not uh, affiliated with WPT, So having that um, non-brand event is also very special every August. That's getting ready to come up uh, with the big four being part of that. uh, That was set up as well before I got here. But just continue to be a part of those events. Um, I say it all the time. I really fell into a great spot here where a lot of the trial and error had already been gone through for the first four or five years. And then it was just, you know, I don't know, just extremely lucky. You know, the story of my life, I've
0: been in the right place at the right time in a lot of spots. Awesome. Time. Awesome. Well, uh, perhaps that's another thing that carried through when you did get that uh, additional promotion to become director of poker marketing. Again, coolest job title. Uh, <laughs> what does the director of poker marketing for Seminole Hard Rock do?
1: So, a big part of my job is um, not, I'm not just focused on Hollywood anymore. Right. Um, I oversee the uh, there's three poke rooms. We talk about there being six properties, but there's three poke rooms uh, in the state of Florida for the Seminole Tribe of Florida. Um, Hollywood, Tampa, and Coconut Creek. Uh-huh. Coconut Creek is about 20 minutes north of Hollywood. Uh, great poke room there that just relocated last year. 29, getting ready to go to the 30 tables. Uh, smoke-free space. Um, amazing, amazing room there as well. Great cash game business with dailies. So uh, the three rooms I helped with, you know, everything marketing, um, and with their marketing teams as well from, you know, social media, uh, the websites, uh, when big events are going on, making sure there's still a lot of those TV things that kind of come into play where player get a hold of you. Hey, I, I need a hotel room. Uh, that's on that stuff still falls in as well. Yeah. yeah. Um, you know, Hey, what's, what's the structure for, you know, uh, event number 18, you know, those one-off, uh, you know, DMS are still, sure. uh, involved um, also with um so my position is director of poker marketing for Seminole hard rock support services um, there's a hard rock property that was just rebranded in cincinnati ohio and it was a jackson hard rock bought that so i'm starting to work with the direct uh the poker manager up there as well about uh, doing future events up there kind of bringing that hard rock culture and the philosophy of poker up there as well that's kind of in the beginning stages, but I've been speaking with them for the last couple of years, but getting a little bit more involved over the last couple of months.
0: Interesting. And, you know, you, I, I like that you phrased it because I was looking like, you know, what what phrase do I use? But you said, you know, the, the hard rock poker culture. So what is that? And I guess, you know, you even sort of alluded to it earlier when you said the needle was moving you know, in the seminal hard rock direction, what is it? What is that seminal hard rock culture that sets those poker rooms apart in Hollywood, in Coconut Creek and in Tampa, apart from the competition in the rest of the state, in your opinion? My opinion, I think it's just a huge part of it. And I harp on all the
1: time. It's just the guest service piece Mm -hmm. that when you come to our rooms, that you feel welcome from the moment that you get on the property to the moment you leave and when you come to the poker rooms, just, I don't know how to put it. When you walk in, it's just, um, and I'm not saying just cause I work here because I used to play here as well. Ugh. Um, and, and watching the needle move over the years to just enhance guest service. Let's just face it too. The rooms are gorgeous. You know, the fact that they have the resources to put the money into these, these big elaborate rooms. Um, so when you walk in, you're playing in a place of comfort and elegance. Yeah. Um, so that's part of the culture as well. Um, And just, it's an amazing experience, you know, overall, you know, they talk about rocking experiences. They are, they're really great experiences and you hear from the players, whether they speak for themselves They're on social media, talking all the time about how our events are can't miss. And every time they go to our events, they're just, they're, they're a great time with, with amazing price
0: pools. Awesome. And I I think at the time in 2017, the existing room was sort of, uh, you know, prepared to move into the new room that you guys had moved into. And, you know, here you are, you came in and, you know, again, you've been there for a while. You saw the way it had been, you know, the way it is now, what's it like, you know, sort of, again, like as as a player, a person has, okay, it's like, this it's like that, but you get to see all the reactions of those players, those locals who come in every day, the people who had been there last year and come back to something completely new. What's it like from your perspective, seeing that, I guess, you know, those reactions from the players of the continued investment in the Seminole in um, you know in poker, in their rooms.
1: So the, the brand new poker room unveiled in October of 2019. And uh, that's about the same time that I moved over to corporate. Uh-huh. And the room was well-deserved by not only the players, but the staff. You know, that um, the room in Hollywood had moved around, you know, used to be on the casino floor. And then it went outside to the Seminole Paradise, uh, which was a, it's like an old sports bar with two floors. And obviously right. it wasn't built to be a poker room. So it had its challenges, mm-hmm. um, you know, but it still was a nice poker room, yep. you know, compared to a lot of the places that you go to. A lot <laughs> of people didn't know it. They didn't know when you tell them, hey, this was an old sports bar, they would have never known. But for the people that, you know, have been through the the years of poker down here. Right. They finally got that poker room that they had dreamed of. And if I tell people all the time, you've got to come down and see this room. It's from the moment you walk in, you're, you're hit with Lady Gaga's dress on this, you know, elaborate uh, tile floor. And you come in and cage is right there. Your, your, your host stand is right there. Um, you know, the food options and then, um, you know, 45 tables and just space in spacious room. And uh, it's uh, it's really a thing of beauty. And just a gorgeous plus, guitar hotel
0: as well in Hollywood,
1: well, too. I mean, well, well, and, 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 I, and I can't go without talking once again about Coconut Creek and, and mm-hmm. Tampa. The, the room in Coconut Creek, like I mentioned, beautiful. They were on this uh, casino floor. They just moved upstairs into their own space. And in Tampa, that room in Tampa is not that old either. Um, mm-hmm. They just got a brand new room. I want to say it was in 2017, mm-hmm. uh, 2018, so less than five years old. You know, They were on this, uh, the casino floor as well. And they got their own room where it's a uh, Tampa. The players love it. They can park. The elevator drops right down into the bottom of the poke room. Perfect. Wow. They got their own bar. Once again, food, cage, bathroom. Um, you know, they got everything they need there too. And there's 46 tables in Tampa. And, God, I want to uh, get on a plane right now, Tony. You're tempting oh, me. <laughs>
0: hey,
1: it's, it, it's a, <laughs> they're great rooms. And I tell people you make a little tour tour de Florida. Hit uh-huh. uh, some hit some great great uh, similar hard rock programs awesome. awesome
0: well we are gonna switch gears as one uh, needs to do in poker i want to move over to a uh, particular topic uh, you know about the last couple years of the pandemic but before we do, you know, you mentioned a few times uh, Matt Savage. You know, just uh, anyone who's listening, uh, if you hadn't heard it yet, he was episode number fifty one here on the Cards Chat podcast. Uh, go ahead and listen to that one after this one if you haven't already. Um, I know you've, you know, you mentioned him as a mentor. I know you worked closely with him in his role as executive tour director at the WPT. I know I'm putting you a little bit on the spot, but what could you point to as a couple of things that you specifically learned from him that you take and incorporate into, you know, your previous and current positions, uh, you know, in Florida.
1: So I'll say one of the first times I worked the floor with him, uh, he taught me the value of being quiet during coloring up and and it sounds, and it sounds uh, silly, but I was shadowing him during one of the first color ups I ever did. And he just said, this basically this is the time to be quiet in so many words. And um, because of how important it is at that stage of the game to ensure that the color-ups are done properly. Um, also with Matt, and I'm going to give Mary Ann some some, uh, some props to this one. Uh, Mrs. Savage. You know, never, <laughs> yes, Mrs. Savage. That in one of our first dinners, uh, she mentioned Matt will answer any question, big or small. And I, I think you, you can't forget about there's people that are just getting into the game and it may seem like second nature to us, but to them, you know, um, what does BB mean or what does UTG mean? Yeah. You <laughs> answer those questions and then you can get into all the controversial, like we need more chips on the table. Right. So um, listening to the players. There seems to be a theme here, but answering the questions, big or small. I think are the two things and watching Matt on his platform using social media, it's free and just advertising your products and it's, it's there for the taking and players are out there listening to it. So I think those are the biggest things that I've I've learned from Matt over the years, amongst other things.
0: Excellent. Well, great answer. Fantastic. And I know uh, Matt, Yeah, he listens to all the podcasts, including this one. So, uh, you know, that that's pretty awesome. I'm, and Matt, I hope you enjoyed that little segment. Didn't do it for <laughs> you, but uh, you know, as, as we know, you got to give credit where do uh, certainly do you've had uh, enormous influence, not just on Tony, but of course, on so many others uh, in the industry as well. Um, pandemic, you know, got to got to get into it a little bit. Um It was so cool you know again i'm sitting here in israel every country dealt with it in a different way every state every jurisdiction dealt with it in a different way and you know for the beginning of it no one knew what was going on everyone shut down everywhere and then you know but soft what light through yonder window breaks you know florida goes ahead and begins opening up which is super interesting and super cool um, you know, again, I'm just happy that, you know, to see that, that you know, at the time, wow, okay, someone's, you know, obviously it takes a tremendous courage. Uh, and, you know, you got to keep all of the health and guidelines in you know, in mind and in you know, every state again has, you know, every, every company has to go according to state regulations, you had a unique opportunity to be the first, essentially to bounce back and reopen. So take us sort of through that time, because again, you had just become the director of poker marketing, pretty much. A few months later, you get this pandemic, you shut down. You know, what, what's this, you know, give us your front row seat. What was it like experiencing that? And again, pioneering the reopening?
1: Yeah, so um, looking back at that time, it was uh, it was crazy, right, to say the least. And right before, uh, you know, the pandemic hit, I had accepted the position. Um, Jason Heidenthal, who I worked with at the went to Maryland and Jason got the job as tournament manager Uh and was making that transition, uh, you know, for him to come back. And um, he ran the Lucky Hearts Poker Open in January 2020. And so we got through that great, successful event. Um, Just getting, you know, getting going in my position, learning what it's all about. And then you're starting to hear about, you know, the coronavirus and uh, the Poker Awards, I was actually in Vegas. Oh, yeah, that was uh, the last think, event
0: before anything. Yeah, it was,
1: it was March 7th, if I'm right around there, because I think it was yeah. like 10 days before we shut down. Right. And I remember being out there and I remember starting to see people being really cautious. Like, there was a couple of people that didn't want to shake hands. Mm. Kind of thrown back about it. and But then you thought about, I was like, okay, you respect, you know, people sure. just want to be cautious. So Poker Awards um, you know, happens, come back home. And then, you know, 10 days later, March 17th, uh, all the casinos had closed down. Yep. And we were, you know, just like everybody else, sitting at home, just kind of waiting to see what, you know, every day you wake up, see what what's new, what's going on. Um, but like I said, there, there was light at the end of the tunnel. They announced that uh, Tampa opened up first, May 21st. Wow. Uh, before, May before 20. yeah, May 21st. So about seven weeks later, they reopened huh. Tampa under the Safe and Sound program. Um, you know, senior leadership and, and the tribe, you know, they, what they did was amazing. You know, the money that was invested into all the PPE and the protocols and procedures to ensure that, you know, guests and team members uh, were and felt safe, you know, upon coming back. And then about two weeks later, June 12th is when they reopened the other, the other casinos. So poker reopened at Coconut Creek and in, in Hollywood, June 12th. And, you know, we, I think we talked about a little bit that there was just so much uncertainty when we came back. We came back six-handed, uh-huh. plexiglass, mask—you know—spraying down, you know, seats and and, and railings and chips and, and how were the players? You know, all the questions that they had. You know, right. there's no there's no it.
0: precedent you could even look to. You know, you had to sort no. of figure it out. No one,
1: yeah, yeah. So they put a great procedure in place for poker, and you know, they came back. You know, there. I remember the first night. You know, you started to see the. In Tampa, they come down an escalator and you start watching them one by one by one. And then in groups of two. And then you're like, <laughs> wow, they're, they're they're coming back. Yeah. And we just didn't know if they were going to come back, but they did. And then we went from six-handed play to seven-handed play. You know, just very cautious watching everything uh, from seven-handed to eight-handed play. Um, and then removing the, uh, the plexiglass dividers. Sure. Mm-hmm. Um, so everything just came in stages. But, you know, very thankful we were the first ones to come back definitely reap the rewards of, of, of that, uh, with the turnouts. And, uh, we were the first ones to host major events, uh, in Hollywood, January, uh, 2021. And we ran two events really before anybody was even considering running events. So those turnouts record setting, um, you know, in terms of numbers for WPT, the largest WPT of all time, um, was set. So it was pretty incredible to see. And everybody for the most part was pretty understanding. You know, there were, there was, there was waits, you know, some of the longest wait times I've seen here, but you know, that, the, the the demand was there. Oh yeah. And I think everybody was looking forward to getting out. So luckily we're in a state too, that, you know, was, uh, that looked to move forward, uh, before some other States did.
0: For sure. And you know, like it always takes that, whoever that first one is, you know, it takes that, that others could sort of look to and say, okay, well, you know, if, if they're doing it, I guess, you know, maybe we could sort of do it too. It's, it must have been a very interesting ride. And uh, just again, like you said, you're in a, a, the best possible position, you know, if you, if you had a poker table, best position uh, to capitalize from that pent up demand. And we're still seeing today that, you know, some rooms haven't reopened, some, you know, okay, we'll still reopen, you know, there's been mergers and closed, all this sort of thing, but you guys were at the forefront of it. Um, and, uh, again, you know, I, I imagine sort of reached new higher plateaus because anyone who wanted to play, you guys were the only game game in town pretty much. So maybe people discovered Florida poker for the first time. Uh, I'm sure during, during those times.
1: You heard those stories, Robbie, you're absolutely right. There were people that were traveling from, you know, the Midwest or like, I think talking to a couple guys from Missouri, Mm -hmm. you know, they're like, Hey, um, our poker room shuttered. Um, you know we're traveling, we want to get out, they came down and uh, like, wow, this is what we can't wait. We can't wait to go back and tell everybody what this experience was like. Mm. It was like, wow, this is what a big tournament looks like. And um, to hear those compliments, the word of mouth was big. And to your point, there was a lot of other venues or activities that were shut down. So I think that it brought a lot of new blood to poker, you know, as well. I think there was a lot of people that also stayed at home and they tried out different, um, you know, Uh, different poker apps or what, you know, to learn how to play poker as well. Uh Um, you know, for learning how to play free poker and just that's where it all kind of goes back to as well. It's that grassroots, um, you know, we all have to start somewhere, you know, and then we build up that courage to come and play in a casino because it is very intimidating. I'm, I remember shaking, putting in my first bet in a casino, (laughs) you know? And so it's, um, yeah, we, we definitely had, uh, challenges but we we got there and um, still seeing some amazing numbers i think the numbers that we saw in 2021 Mm -hmm. are going to be some some record-setting numbers that um you know i don't know if we'll ever see them again i'll never say never but it it took a lifetime event to to hit some some record-breaking numbers
0: for sure and obviously uh you know the proverbial proverbial silver lining to you know what, what otherwise was a dark cloud there so totally understood there. Um, okay, let's wrap it up just a little bit for you. Um, you know before we get into the um, uh, the community questions you know we ask our, our wonderful forum members to bring the questions for you besides the ones that uh, that I prepare for you uh, two questions one that I'm sure you have probably heard before but you know it's obviously public knowledge that uh, you know the Seminole tribe has purchased from MGM, Uh, the Mirage property and you know there's this talk of okay so long volcano hello guitar could you tease anything for us as far as like what do you know timelines and you know will poker because of course the Mirage has a storied poker history uh, you know the, everyone knows from Randers you know you got to take those uh, those three <laughs> stacks of high society you know got to pull up the, Mirage, right. the, the whole deal um, you know will poker to the best of your knowledge be a part of the new story to yes. unfold uh, at the Seminole property in Las Vegas
1: sure hope so i really want to see it and i know about as much as everybody else right now Mm uh you know i've kind of become the annoying guy that asks the question hey are we going to have poker you know what's (laughs) going on um you know obviously with that that project it's a it's a monster project uh, that's uh undergoing you know for tons of different preparations um yeah we'll we'll see i you know i I read the same things out there but uh you know that's been a very popular question amongst the community because we've done such an amazing job with these major events down here yep. that the players feel like there's, there's a niche, there's room for seminal hard rock poker or hard rock poker to come onto the Las Vegas strip. And um, I, I really hope that we get out there. Like I said, part of my job is support services. is not only, um, you know, like we talked about Cincinnati and you know hopefully Las Vegas, but you know, other hard rock properties around the country or the globe, if they do decide to bring poker on to bring, I hope to, Help bring that philosophy and and uh, and help them, you know, build their poker product. So if they choose to bring
0: it, pretty cool. Well, again, as a fan and as a player, I hope that there is some of that uh, in your very near future. Because I'd love to play and give a room like that a try on the strip. Um, And last question on a personal note, Tony. I've heard lots of stories about your many chickens back at home. What (laughs) what can you tell us about uh, chicken farming?
1: I actually just had a, um, a Facebook memory came up. I think it was yesterday or the day before uh, that we gave the chickens away. So when oh. we bought our home in March, 2018 um, little did we know that the house came with 15 chickens
0: Right, right.
1: and uh, fresh <laughs> eggs every day. And, you know, I didn't know the slightest thing about chicken farming or anything like that. So I, you know, Googled a lot of uh, questions and, um, but yeah, we had chickens for oh goodness uh, up to last year and uh, we, were having, we were having we were having issues with raccoons and the raccoons were coming in and having two young daughters and explaining to them every month or every other month that you know they all had names naturally yeah yep. uh, you know why Snow White was was gone <laughs> uh, or why Cookie was gone oh. uh, yeah we, we got down to nine. And uh, we took them to a local farm and let them uh, be a little bit more protected.
0: That is fair. Okay. So you, you guys think that you only hear about sharks and whales and <laughs> donkeys and, and fish. No, we have chickens and raccoons here on the Cards Chat podcast. <laughs> <laughs>
1: that was a running joke for a while. I, I got plenty of Rocky memes uh, sent out me you know, uh, if, I, if I can uh, catch the chicken. And go. I had to do that a couple times. Uh, <laughs> I'm just hoping there's no videos out there. Gotcha.
0: All right. Well, we're going to now switch to the second half or second part of the show news segment where we turn to all of you guys out there, our Cards Chat community, to see what questions you wanted to ask our guests. We have a dedicated thread on the Cards Chat forums for this. So as we announce who our future guests will be, please be sure to send in your questions. Uh, our first questions come from Crystals. Thank you very much, Crystals, for sending these in. Um, it's, uh, I guess it might be hard to pinpoint one here, but Crystals wants to know, Tony, what has been the biggest accomplishment that you and your team have achieved since taking over at Seminole Hard Rock? That is the uh, the wording of the question.
1: Oh, there's so many. Uh, the first one that comes to mind, uh, I would say having the largest WPT uh, live field in their 20-year history, 2,482. Uh, the reason I can remember that is Ken Griffey Jr. was my favorite ball player, 24, and my birth year, 82. So 24, 82. Uh, last April, uh, just uh, April 2021, I should say. Um, what an amazing turnout! And that I think uh, will be a record that'll stand for quite a long time. Uh, Seminole Hard Rock had the previous record of 1795. I want to say before that. <sighs> Not uh, that that wasn't.
0: Yikes!
1: Yeah, that was in 20. 14 I think it was won by Eric Afriat so yeah that uh that 2021 event that was a monster and i think that has uh that's that's, that's a big accomplishment
0: Cool. Okay. Uh, Crystals has another one. Um, And this I'm also curious as well. And Obviously, you've been, as I mentioned, our first uh, meeting, our first encounter was in Las Vegas. You are certainly familiar with the poker scene there. Uh, Crystals wants to know, if you had to compare the two, how would you describe the differences and similarities between the Las Vegas poker scene and the Florida poker scene?
1: I think the Florida poker scene, uh, the biggest difference is just how long it's been around. You know, I, I, talk about Florida poker kind of being, uh, it's growing up, you know, it's and still, it was a infant and a, and a teenager. I think it's just it's kind of getting into its college years now, if you will, mm-hmm. where, you know, Vegas poker's been around for, you know, you're looking at world series of poker, right. They just celebrated, I believe their 52nd, 53rd year. Yeah. Um, and you know, so there's, there's that age factor. Um, you Know Vegas poker, um, you know, from what experiences I have from being out there, it just, um, I don't know how to put it, it's, it's so nostalgic. Like, say, uh, you talk about the uh, rounders yeah. and the references, um, to that, that it you know flows over to Hollywood, you know. So, I, I think Vegas poker will always be Vegas poker in its own, but there's so much great poker, um, in my opinion. Uh, I'll be a little biased, I think some of the best pokers played in, in Florida. Mm-hmm. Um, in terms of the action, um, the the social side of it as well. Um, I've noticed that Florida poker seems to be a little bit chattier uh, from okay. what the players have told me. And also, you hear five to a flop a lot more in Florida than you do. last
0: <laughs> If Guys, uh, players out there, if there's a little part you want to replay, don't forget that little nugget there. Five to a flop, okay, maybe we should make Florida a nice... Uh, <laughs> playing destination there Um, last one from crystals what is the craziest thing you have witnessed on the poker floor
1: i don't know if i can uh
0: that you're allowed to tell
1: us i'm allowed (laughs) to tell you oh
0: goodness
1: (laughs) goodness so many stories um man
0: would you like a time bank chip
1: yeah, I might need a time bank chip for this one. Uh, I, I can't, Craziest thing I've seen on the poker floor. Like I said, it, it's, a, it's a PG show, right? So, sure, uh, sure. Yeah. No, I, I would just say that some of the craziest things I've seen is just um, um, the way certain players have handled. I, I don't want to give a, any examples. just the way certain players have handled uh, of certain rulings. Okay. Um, you know, and that's it's part of the business that, you know, being on the floor and some things I don't miss about the operation side of just handling some, some crazy four, uh, four calls. Sure. And uh, just some activity that's gone out on the floor and, you know, you handle those players accordingly and, and you move on, but uh, without getting into too much detail, there's been some, some crazy four calls.
0: So I'll just throw another one of my own in there based on your answer. What is the most beautiful thing you've ever seen happen on the poker floor? Just touched your heart.
1: Um. You know, there was a player, um, when, you see, when you see certain players, and one that comes to, to mind is Elias Maradi, uh, who won, um, I believe it was the 2021 event uh, at Lucky Hearts. He, um, if you re- go back to his story, he was an Afghani refugee. Mm. Um, his story, you just I remember see that. how much the win meant to him and his mm-hmm. family. Um, his story is really, really, really good. But that, that's situations like that. Um, when you can tell that a player where they won money, that was life changing. Uh, those are some of the most beautiful moments. Um, that genuine, um, a genuine uh, emotion.
0: Oh, beautiful. Uh, we'll move on to our next question asker. That's Acid Burn FX, one of our favorites. Uh, and I know Matt. You know, since you're listening, one of Matt's favorites as well always makes a, a good chuckle. Some interesting questions uh, from Acid Burn FX. Um, you can answer this, uh, Tony. Whether in the poker realm or outside of the poker realm, um, or both, what is the toughest decision you've ever made?
1: Toughest decision I've ever made. Wow goodness i feel like i should be laying down for this one <laughs> um <laughs> toughest decision i ever made um I, I think coming down to south florida was a tough one you know um for for my poker career i uh-huh. you know i was working on the boat i was pretty happy with the way things were going i saw some writing on the wall yeah um and that you know it took a lot to to relocate um you know down even though it was a three-hour drive but I grew up in Central Florida and that was always home for me. So leaving that all behind, I I, I bring that up because I just thought about it the other day. It was it was a it was a difficult move to come down. Um I was also faced, you know, there's been other job opportunities that have come up when I was at the aisle to go with Mike to Maryland. I was supposed to go up there and um I chose to stay. And that yep. was another very difficult decision. So um I think relocating, especially in light of having a family, um, you know, and, and two young children. Uh, probably some of the toughest decisions, uh, especially when it involves
0: other people. That's fair. Thanks for opening up like that. Uh, that's that's yes. very fair. And uh, just you know, again, I'm I'm curious in the poker realm. You know, if there was a particularly thorny issue that had to come up where you had to make a, a ruling on it. You know, is there something that comes to mind as as having been particularly difficult? I think,
1: man, I got you know, I've been in this marketing role for almost three years now, and <laughs> we're getting my my poker floor experience. Matt kids me all the time. He says I left poker. So,
0: Oh, I saw um, you were, you were paying attention to the latest TDA summit. I know you got your finger on the pulse. Yeah,
1: no, yeah, no, I I like to hear what's going on. Um, But uh, toughest floor decision I ever had to make. Um, I think there was a situation that came up where a player's hand was um, unprotected. You know, Mm. I was thinking about, and he was facing, um, an all-in bet, and the dealer thought that he had mucked his hand. And that player didn't like the ruling that was made that he wasn't getting the last bet back and just had an unprotected hand. And that one comes to mind because it was kind of a higher-profile player. And you know when you don't make decisions that go a certain player's way, um, they can be vocal about it. Sure. And there was also another – now I'm opening up on some – remembering some floor calls – there was another situation in a high roller event um, where a player raised, not realizing he was facing an all-in bet, uh-huh. um, because it was right around the color up time, uh-huh. and you know he raised and he didn't see the the, the all-in, and I held him to the raise, mm. and he's like Tony, look on my hand, and he's trying to show me his hand. And I'm like, my decision isn't based on the strength of your hand. It's, there you go. Poker is a visual game, and. Uh, you know, there was obviously some people advocating for you know his side, and then there's other people saying, you know, hey, you made the right, the, you made the right ruling. So, you know, there's um, like I said, and that falls back into some of the craziest things that I've probably been involved. It was just really difficult floor calls, right? Uh-huh.
0: That pays to be well versed, uh, you know, with with the, with the, all of the requisite knowledge, so, so you can sort of stick to your guns in that uh, in that respect. Um, one more, another couple from Acid Burn FX. Uh, wants to know Tony, if you could learn one skill instantly, what would it be and why?
1: Skill. What skill would I want to learn? Um I would love to i probably learn how to play the game at a higher level.
0: Oh, I like it.
1: Um I uh, I enjoy playing poker recreationally. Uh-huh. Like I talked about, it's an opportunity to get out there and listen, keep keeping that pulse on what's going on. Uh-huh. But there was always that dream that I had to become a major league baseball player. And uh-huh. quite you'll hear me compare poker and baseball uh, to each other quite a bit. You know, that there's different, different levels of poker, just like there's different levels of baseball from, sure. you know, from, from little league to the bigs and only a certain percentage ever make the big leagues and i think it's the same when it comes to poker there's just such a small percentage of people that can stand the test of time both emotionally and financially um, so if i could learn one skill um i wish that uh i could take all those uh, solvers and charts that they talk about <laughs> and just put it here without using an app
0: i love it that's great again that just kind of begs a follow-up from me do you have any uh as a player any as yet unfulfilled poker dreams
1: main event i want to play the main i was just telling my wife just watching this um you know it's uh i want i want to play the main one day and uh, i think a lot of people don't realize that that's a bucket list for a lot of people and that you you see certain people they play it every year in and out and I think at times, I think a lot of them realize how special it is, but I think for some, it might be just feel like another tournament, just like it's another day in the office. Um, but it, that would be a great, um, that would, and the WPT event, I've never played a WPT, uh, main. Mm-hmm. uh, so I have a couple, uh, I have a couple events that, uh, obviously I can play at several properties. Of course. So, and, you know, getting time off work, uh, not to mention the financial piece of having, um, you know, Those are some by children it. and yes. family, you, <laughs> you spent 10000 on a poker tournament, that could have been a brand new floors and announced. So. <laughs> well, if you ask
0: nicely, maybe we'll throw in 1% for you. There, You're on your way. <laughs> we'll see. <laughs> All right. We'll see. Um, okay, we'll move on to Shells, uh, and then we'll just wrap up the show. Um, Shells wants to know, what is your fondest memory while working in Major League Baseball?
1: Had a bunch of those. Um, I think um, the Marlins winning the World Series in 97 uh, was was pretty awesome. That was my first year with the team. And uh, I'll never forget, I didn't get to go to the game. Oh. Uh, yeah, I know. Uh, watched it from the comfort of home. But um, I'll never forget, my dad let me stay up uh, after midnight because that game went into extra innings. Uh-huh. And uh, for those of you know the story of uh, the chicken runs after midnight, uh, it's a good story. It's kind of ironic. by had chickens, and um, but there's a great council scoring the winner, winning run. Mm-hmm. Um, and Rich Donnelly, uh, like I said, if you want to hear a good baseball story? Uh, the Marlins winning the World Series '97 was pretty awesome. Uh, meeting Michael Jordan uh, when Jordan played baseball. I was a bat way for the Cubs at the time.
0: Oh, so oh wow!
1: I got okay. to, I got to meet Michael uh, at the age of 12. He
0: played second <laughs> base, was it? I uh, he was an outfielder. Outfield,
1: okay. Yeah, he was outfield. Damn. So, yeah, meeting Jordan. Jordan was pretty awesome. Uh, meeting Ken Griffey Jr. Uh, in 2000 nice. when he came to be with the Reds. Um, meeting McGuire and Sosa, that whole home run chase. Uh, Cal Ripken Jr. Uh,
0: oh, during, okay. you know, He's my uh, favorite, uh, yeah, Cal
1: Ripken. Yeah, the Iron Man. So yeah, Iron Man. So, I, I, could, I could go on and on about my baseball memories. But <laughs> uh, obviously, the Marlins winning the World Series was, was, was pretty awesome.
0: Cool, love it. Okay, Uh, all of these are so good. Look at the three remaining questions from Shells. Uh, They're just such great questions. Um, uh, So I want to ask them all. um, Who is the smartest poker person you have ever met? Shells wants to know.
1: Met a lot. Met a lot of great minds. Um, Some of that come to mind. uh, People that I've enjoyed watching live and find myself, you know, see what they're they're up to. And he's he's kind of out of the game right now. Um, is Dan Coleman? Um, oh, wow. I remember be- watching Dan Coleman play um, and watch how methodical. And you just just see him. It's almost like he's computing right there at the table. Hmm. Watching him play live, and then watching some of the of his his uh, his runs was was really impressive to watch. David Peters is a uh, another one that comes really close to that. Watching David Peters play, I haven't seen him at, at Simo Hard Rock in a while, but touch base with him every now and then. Um, but talking to guys like um brian Altman who's won three wpt titles uh, all on seminal properties i joke around with him all the time that he needs to like go dig some dirt up uh out back and carry it around <laughs> with him everywhere he goes um you Being know the wing Fraz, yeah. Fraz jacca is another one um, sure. you know with his coaching um darren elias it you know, just fell just short of number five but uh watching those guys live uh very impressive I mean, I'm, i know i'm missing a whole bunch of them and I'm probably going to hear about it the next event that I didn't call them out. Um, but just when I first started um, watching Dan um, was was pretty, pretty incredible.
0: Pretty for those who uh, may not remember, because like, you know, it's almost like a flash in the pan in the way. But he was the 18 million dollar man, won the big one for one drop. Uh, you know, super, he's think, I think he's still top 20 uh, all yeah. time, uh, you know, of poker winnings. It's uh, kind of incredible. Yeah. yeah, he won the
1: SHRPO championship here um, in 2014. Right. Um, I think there was a story that he missed the first level um and still came in and won the final table. Right. So he was absent from the final table and, and then he came here in twenty fifteen and he ended up getting third, I believe it was. Um he flopped top set of jacks against uh a flop straight. And I remember Phil Hellmuth um was doing the MC at the time. He's like, That's the only way they bust Dan on coolers.
0: You know, so <laughs> He definitely had his uh, his god run uh, at, at that time. Uh, yeah. Two more from shells. What would? Oh, I love this. Okay, that's a bit again putting me on the spot though. But what would you like to be remembered for most in the poker community, Tony?
1: Well, uh we're getting deep. That's yeah, right. Like it. Well, it's no. uh, towards the end.
0: So yeah, no, I, I like we've it. worked um, our way towards this point.
1: I just like to be known that um, that I worked, that I worked hard and that once again, that I was always, that I was always approachable um, that, you know, every time that I went and just uh, Seminole hard rock or wherever I end up going in this, this poker world that, you know, Tony made sure that I had a good time, that Tony was um, somebody I could uh, call on and was reliable and, I think that's uh, the biggest thing I want to be remembered by is just that my work ethic was was strong. And, uh, yeah.
0: I love that. That's, that's a fantastic a, that's a answer. Cool. Obviously, you've got years and, and many, many decades yet ahead of you.
1: Yeah, uh, I don't know what I'll necessarily be remembered. I got, I got a lot more time in this business. So I, I think that in the words of, of many, the best is yet to come.
0: There you oh, Oh, I love that. It's a very famous phrase. Anyone who follows WPT, it's good stuff. Uh, and our final question for you, Tony, you know, those who are listening, perhaps you can't necessarily tell, but if you're watching this on YouTube, you can see Tony's a very smiley guy, loves smiling. And, you know, when I think of you, I always think of you smiling, Tony. Uh, Shells wants to know what is something that always makes you smile? My Kids. It's, it's uh,
1: my kids always make me smile. I, I, they can be, uh, they, they can, frustratingly rewarding <laughs> is a term I like to use. <laughs> well put, sir. Um, <laughs> but, you know, when, when I stop and think about, um, you know, just life in general, if I'm, you know, I'm having a tough day. Um, I can't wait to get home to my kids. Um, they, they always make me smile. Fam- family, you know, my, my family in general, my family makes me smile. My, my very supportive wife and my kids and all my family up north, uh, It's, it's us down here and I've got a great support system, you know, with my, with my wife and kids and that, that makes me smile.
0: Beautiful. Uh, I have a beautiful note on which uh, to end. I want to thank everyone who sent in questions for Tony Burns. And again, one more friendly reminder to all of you out there in the Cards Chat community. We'd love to see you submit your questions for our future podcast guests in the dedicated thread on the forums. Guys, please be sure to give us a good review on iTunes. Spread the word via your social media channels if you like the show. Before we let you go, Tony, is there anything else you'd like to share with the Cards Chat audience?
1: Uh, as always, uh enjoy talking with you. It's been, uh, like I said, five years. lot's happened. Um, but a lot of good uh, poker getting ready to come up. Uh, I know the World Series is wrapping up uh, over the next week. Uh, Seminole Hard Rock Poker Open starts July 27th in Hollywood. Uh, over $7 million in guarantees. So the Big Four comes back. So hopefully if uh, you're looking for a poker trip, come on down to, uh, to Florida and Hollywood. And, and shortly after that, a couple weeks later, uh, the WPT comes back to Tampa. Uh, starting on August 25th uh, with a Labor Day weekend uh, $3,500 buy-in. So uh, fun, fun uh, late summer, uh, fall of poker coming up. Uh, Seminole Hard Rock, WPT comes back to Hollywood in November. So they, the events keep me busy, and this does, this company continues to expand. Uh, looking forward to more opportunities uh, around the country and globe.
0: Excellent. And if, and, and, you know, just to get one more little plug for yourself in, if anyone wants to learn more about you or, you know, like you said, the opportunities to possibly deal or other sorts of positions there, how can they reach you?
1: Uh, So to apply for positions for the Seminole Hard Rock, it's go to workhappy.com. If uh, you're on social media and you want to kind of follow what's going on uh, at Hard Rock Holly for Hollywood um, at SHRPO for the tournament side for them as well um if you want to follow myself personally at MD tony b um, a lot of poker baseball kids uh you'll find on my socials so uh constantly promoting work so but uh yeah uh, as always appreciate being uh, able to come on and and talk uh talk life talk poker talk baseball and and chickens
0: I love it. I love it. Tony, thank you again so much. Guys, thank you so much for tuning in to another episode of the Cards Chat Podcast. I'm Robbie Straczynski. You can follow me on Twitter at CardPlayerLife. I wish you all a wonderful day. Cards Chat, the friendliest poker podcast in town from the world's number one poker community.